Good morning, and welcome to the broadcast of the First Baptist Church in Riverton, Kansas, where the mission is to serve the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're so glad you could join us today as our pastor, Aaron Williams, shares a timely message from God's Word. At FBCR, there are several ministry opportunities that you can be a part of. These include the food pantry and commodity distribution, which provides assistance to those who are experiencing a food shortage in both our community and the four-state area. In addition, our worship team, now known as Fire of FBCR, provides music each and every Sunday morning during the worship service. The team is growing and welcomes new talent as God provides. This includes either singing, playing a musical instrument, or being a part of our technical crew. And a third ministry opportunity involves the crisis team, which is available to provide assistance in case of a fire, flood, or any other unforeseen emergency. Please contact the church office for details on these ministry opportunities. Now with today's message, here's Brother Aaron. If you have your Bible with you, would you please open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I felt like everyone in Sunday school has already preached this message. Everyone kept hitting on the notes, and I thought that was wonderful. Um, Really been getting some adjustment in our Sunday school class. If you're um, maybe even new to the church, we want to get you plugged in. We've been doing the Sermon on the Mountain Sunday school. On Wednesday nights, we are going through the book of James. And it's uh, just been extraordinary. Anyway, if you have 2 Timothy open, we'll be in chapter 3. I would like to read the first five verses and begin to make some comments on this text of Scripture, the last writing to Timothy, the last known writing of Paul the Apostle historically. He writes it to his son in the faith. He's warning him of the future. Let's lay this tapestry of Scripture over and can be applied to this generation. Chapter 3, verse 1. This know. Can I turn that in reverse? Know this. Know this. Also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. This is really a powerful text of Scripture as Paul the Apostle begins to write to Timothy. He's warning him of a day. Again, I ask you to place this like a tapestry over this generation. I know that it's not popular to comment from the pulpit on what's going on in the country. I would be a fool as a pastor not to go to the farm and recognize a storm's coming. I do that quite frequently. And I begin to shut up the chicken house. We begin to make sure animals and barn doors are down and close windows, we make sure we tie off the covering to the greenhouse. If we didn't, we would have a lot of broken pieces and hurt animals. I also notice the response on the farm from the animals when they know a storm is headed their way. They'll begin to cluster together. They're looking for safety. They want to get together in a group, and God's people are no different. And uh, I want to begin to say out of this text that this is a great warning 
He said, know this, these things will be present in last days. No matter how long we've waited on last days, we can see that many of these which are mentioned are very present in our day. We'll get to those in just a moment. But I want to start with hope for you as a church. We can do this, church. I know that you read the papers. I know that you hear the news. I know that you wonder what's really going on and what the future looks like. But can I say this? In the days that Christ faced his own disciples, their hope was in the restoration of a natural kingdom. And can I simply tell you this morning, our hope can never rest on anything less than the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Our hope is not politics or nations. We are to pray for our leaders. I would like to ask you with your concerns, maybe even your fears of the future, would you begin to turn those to your prayer life? We preach for a few months on prayer, secret prayer, corporate prayer as a church, praying so that we know God hears and when He answers your prayer, you then have a built-up faith and confidence that God has heard you. He wants to have a people of His own who are humbled. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that's God's people humbling themselves to call upon His name, crying back to heaven, turning from their sin, from all the wickedness, all of these things, and turn to God and say, God, you're able to do this. Isaiah lived in a generation like that. He said, I am a man in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I have unclean lips, and I need the touch of God. And every generation needs a touch of God. Paul the Apostle is reminding young Timothy, this is the atmosphere of the last days. And I don't think we have to talk a lot to know that we are there. And I want to say and use the farm analogy because I can see that it's very important that you gather together as a congregation. This elusive idea that you come to Christ and, and no doubt the Holy Spirit could convict you anywhere, you could be born again, but the notion that you will not want to get together with believers is unscriptural. I said it's unscriptural. It's untrue, and I challenge it. When you are born again, you have humbled yourself, being a sinner before a God who sent Christ as the only way, the truth, and the life, back to God by way of repentance on the cross, through the resurrection power. And in this life, this new life, a new heart, a new change, God becomes the head. And if He's the head, He said He has a body. He's not without a body. So when somebody's born again, we can't use the excuse that we wouldn't come together. It doesn't make any sense. Any more than we see all the cows in the pasture go to one corner, get in one group, turn their back to the wind, and wait for the storm to pass by. He said, assemble yourselves together even more so as you see this day approaching. I'm not here to put you in fear. I'm here to be very real about what we have going on. We live in a country that's ungodly, unbiblical, we have leaders that need prayer. We need to ask God to change, amen, make changes, an awakening of sorts. This is the exact atmosphere that happens before the greatest awakenings throughout history have taken place where God turns nations upside down for His righteousness' sake. This is not undoable. We can do this, church. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said to Peter, upon the rock, knowing that he is the Son of God and the Christ, I'll build my church and the gates of hell cannot, will not prevail against it. That means that there's no church of Christ that hell can push back. And so what are we doing today, church? It's going to take an alignment of Scripture, a recognition of the truth of the Word of God, standing on the truth and declaring it. And in this day, I need to warn you, church, you're going to be accused of being intolerant. Intolerant. 
You're going to go to work. And maybe your mouth is already silenced in the workplace. And I want you to use wisdom with meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. Peradventure, God may grant to them repentance. But at the same time, pray for the courage and boldness that we've seen in the apostles in the book of Acts. And the only reason that the church today in America looks different than the Bible is because we've tried to do it different than the Bible. But we're not here doing that today. I watch your lives. I watch some of your broken lives. And you've come to Christ. That's how I came. And God has brought you by the Holy Spirit to Himself, convicted you, and you're standing upright. God could do anything He wants, not only with this congregation, but the believers around this country. There's nothing impossible for Him. Amen. Let's begin to look at four points in this third chapter of 2 Timothy. In verse 2, they shall be lovers of their own selves. Lovers of their own selves. I could draw more out than just four parts of this, and I don't lean any direction. But there are four parts I want to make a point of. They love their self. It's a contrast to Christianity. If you seek to save your life, you will lose it. If you will lose your life for His sake, you will find life. It doesn't make natural sense, but biblically, any believer knows as they give up and give toward God with a crucified life of the cross that they have just found the only life that could ever bring them such joy, peace, and righteousness, which is the kingdom of God. But in a culture where the loving of oneself is so prevalent, I simply just bring this as gentle as I know how. We need to be aware, church, of what's out there and the compromise that's within our generation. The pastor is an under-shepherd. He's made to warn you of impending danger. I said out of prayer about a month ago, I don't know timing. Trouble's headed for this country in many fronts. But there's never been a time greater in our lives as families we need to get together and ask God to discipline us. We Just think of the last few weeks. We taught on disciplining children. The greatest example you will set for unbelievers in your life is to just be the simplicity of the family. Let's do what mothers and fathers do in God when they humble themselves and, and get before the Lord, loving one another, raising their children, disciplining. Do you know what an example that is? Try going to the mall and have disciplined children. That's just such a light to the world. Go out to eat today. I mean, sometimes we make this look like it's got to be something bigger than it is. I mean, what's he doing day by day in our life that makes such a difference? That is a testimony. I don't believe in anything in Julie and I's life that's a greater testimony than just learning to love one another. And the credentials for a pastor is not his intellect, not his charisma. Not his Greek and Hebrew knowledge. The atmosphere and the the very pedigree of the preacher, as I said it before, how he loves his wife, how he trains his children. Is he greedy? Is he a striker? He can't strike his own wife. He'll strike the, the God's wife. Can't be greedy for money. 
And church, I'm never more happy. This, this week they voted so I could go full time here. I'm not happy because of the money. I'm happy to serve you. And there's many that aren't here today. But God wants to serve you. Your leader is only the one that can meet you in the night when you're the most hurt and respond because God said to do it. Church, I'm partly broken today. I want you to know God to give us a great refuge. We have a time to worship and come among a habitation and learn the scriptures. But he warns us here, first of all, you'll live in a time when they love their self. They won't be willing to give their life up. They want their life at all cost. But a Christian opposes that in their living, their everyday living, by giving their life up always and first of all, not only to God, but secondly for one another. Are we laying our life down for each other? In a way that no doubt you're so selfless in all that you do, in your giving and your praying, in your time spent with somebody. I mean, come on, preacher, let's get honest. I want to challenge myself today. Do you cater toward the rich? Do you cater toward those that can be an influence? Is this turned into just a business? Forget it. God came for the broken of the world, those who were destitute, those that were troubled, those that were afflicted. He knew that in weakness His strength could be made known. He knew the power of the grave and the power of resurrection was beyond the intellect and the ability of mankind. If they would just come to the cross, humble themselves, and ask Jesus Christ to forgive their sin, they would get back to God in a relationship that He always intended. Let's look at the second. Again, I'm not for any reason. I just I hit a few of these. Look at the end of verse 2. They're disobedient to, un- to parents. Wow. Why is that in there? It almost looks out of place. They're disobedient to parents. What kind of natural affection toward elders are there? In our culture, as I do funeral after funeral, you can tell the love of a society by the way they treat their dead. I mean, today, grandparents can die and the family drops them off. The funeral directors tell me they drop them off maybe to pick their ashes up sometime. They don't know when. There's no honoring of that. But it's worse than that church, not just the honoring of the dead, but how about the honoring of the eldership and the church of Jesus Christ? The elders made to teach the younger. That means the ladies who had great marriages and men also go to the younger and teach them. And we have them here. They want to know how to do this. They want to know what you've lived through, the times and the trials and how God has been faithful. This is how it's passed from one generation to the next. This is the reason it went from Abraham, Isaac, and then down to Jacob. But a disobedient to parents, have you ever seen it any more prevalent? Again, two weeks ago, I'm not going to re-preach all of that. What a generation of disobedience. Number three, verse three. Without natural affection. Without natural affection. Does everybody know what natural affection is? Homosexuality is wrong and it's against Scripture. Every court in the country and in the world can vote for it. But according to Romans 1, God will never vote for it. without natural affection. And I want to challenge you as Christians and as parents with your children. There's going to be a line we're going to have to draw and stand up for the truth. My little girl will not be in a bathroom with just anybody. 
They say, preacher, don't hit on those issues. They're so controversial. I'm warning. I mean, this is a warning, like, watch out. This generation has gone astray. And you're not just, like, the Word of God is actually the right way to live. And Jesus, the apostles, the prophets all died so we could receive a Word that actually instructs us how to be husbands and wives, how to be families, how to be the church. Verse 4, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. So many things can tickle our pleasures in this day, even church itself. I hear these words in and among even church, so it's one thing to point out there, but I think judgment starts in the house of God. And that is we need to be careful of just tending toward pleasure. In what real ways does this affect our life? I mean, how many times has the church and your commitment to the church become secondary to just life and all that it has to offer? I know this isn't just easy. How much in our culture is it just church becomes like a drive-thru? You ever notice when you go to town and the kids are in the back and you say, where do you want to eat? And one says McDonald's, one says Kentucky Fried Chicken, and the other one, and church is kind of that way. You can just drive by until you get the one you want. But in the weeks ahead, I'm going to start teaching on why there's membership in this church and why I believe some of the ways that we've done where it's just so easy to get in and get out, and it's, wow, you know. I mean, do you know what you're getting into? Before you get married, do you know what you're getting into? If we're going to get together and ask for the safety of God, then there's, there's some things God's going to require of us. And discipline, it's easy to applaud a message on discipline, because you didn't like someone's child running around when they wasn't supposed to. But it's another thing when the Lord says, look, I really want to bring the body untied. And I, and I really sense as an under-shepherd, as a pastor, that the body of Christ needs to come in kind of tight and really begin to take on maybe some discipline. Are we willing to discipline our lives? I mean, toward him. I mean, after all, trouble hits. We're going to absolutely want cry out for his help, and we want it. But are we willing to get in that position of discipline? Where does it start? I think it starts at home. It starts at home in our lives every day. And then as you come to church and you worship for what God's doing there, you begin to have a different kind of worship. And then you're not just hunting another emotional experience and hoping that you feel good when you left, but you begin to chase after the heart of God. You begin to hunt God's heart. Like, God, where are you at in this for my life? Like, what do I actually, what am I supposed to do? How do I live this? How do I do this? What, you know. I know it's quiet when you preach discipline. But I know also many of you are searching, like, where do we go from here? How do we do this? I mean, my life's become so busy. Sports. I mean, we're facing our own home. There, there can be a practice or something to do every day of the week if you have enough children. But where is it we just say like, no, like this is what we do for God and nothing touches this. I want to encourage you as families and if your grandparents encourage your kids and grandchildren to just start setting that boundary like this is God's time. This is when we as a family do this and then establish other times. And I know this seems very elementary and simple, but I don't think the culture is doing it, even in Christianity. 
we're making excuses for why we do all of that. And, and somehow our children are going to turn out really good because we've just not disciplined when it comes to the Lord. That doesn't make sense. And yet, that you know, others have raised our kids. I mean, look at the culture. I mean, let's just, in a broad way, take a look. You know, I mean, they go from the babysitter, and then they go to the school, and pretty soon it's sports. And then what your next best hope is, man, maybe at the church, something's going to happen, and it's going to really finally get my children. This wasn't the original design of God. And, and Paul's warning Timothy of a day that's very dangerous. He's like, like, look here, this is what will be. We're seeing every sign that's here. Like everything that could open its mouth and eat not only our children, but our own lives. It's present today. Have you ever heard someone say, children are my first priority? Hmm? Can I tell you what the scriptures say about a husband and wife relationship? And then you hear it in our day. Children are our first priority. But here's what Ephesians says. Husband, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their own wives as their bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. He's like teaching us the pattern of what our children need. And I say in this day, it's not that children aren't important, but it's become the focus that children kind of rule the home. They rule the way the church is going to go. I mean, when I started pastoring, it's all about, well, I'll tell you one thing on how to build a church. Just get a great youth program. And I don't dispute that you need a great youth program, but if that's the only hope we have for teaching families is that they don't need to discipline their life and watch their time and watch how much they work at work and how much they take their kids to sports. And then at the end of the day, hope the youth leader can clean all of that up. Hopefully, but I'm telling you, there's a better way to do this than that. And that is for the whole church to align themselves, humble themselves, discipline their themselves before God as a family and say, look, some of these times are off limits. What would happen if all the professing Christians in America today begin to set boundaries on like on Wednesday night and Sundays? We don't do this. What do you think would happen to some of the sports events and the other things? Listen, I'm really serious about this. This like I didn't read a guy's book to come share how I should give uh, uh, some kind of warning to the church the, like the gates of hell have opened themselves across the country. I'm also not discouraged about that because I understand 11 men turned the Roman Empire upside down by the power of the power of the, the resurrection of Christ. I, I, I want to stop and not preach, but there's passion in me that's alive and well. I remember what salvation looked like when I was voted most likely to be in prison by 21. Listen, I've spent years on the streets. I've been put in jail for preaching. I'm not here today because I'm a Pentecostal or this. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. It's craziness, the separation we've got in this country. What God needs more than anything is a people who get before Him and humble themselves and say, God, I'm going to do this your way, no matter what way a culture is going. And my hope is not that if I get my child in enough sports, he's going to be a happy one. No, he needs you as a father, humbling yourself before God because your parents are going to, or your children are going to be disobedient because you're disobedient to God. Them children aren't disobedient because, listen, that's bound in their heart. It's the job of a father to spank them. Oh, I know everyone puts their head down. I'll get a call or letter. I can defend it. I know what the book says. 
Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. The, the Bible says that. The rod of correction drives it far from him. Everyone wants to quote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Then they get down to his rod and his staff comfort. His rod is correction. His staff is the thing that you begin to get him where you need him. And this morning, I'm just saying, church, let's get where God wants us to be before a storm hits. How about that? And it don't matter if it's a storm of a nation or a storm of our life. Let's get where God wants us to be. He doesn't bust through our marriages and everything else. That is the adversary. When we find ourselves in a day of hopelessness and despair. And Amen. I try to hold the passion back. Sometimes it just pops out. It's like Jack in the Box, you know. I think the most needed preaching of our day is expository preaching because of the lack of biblical knowledge. But he's warning us here. And so someone said, my first priority is just my children. No, it's not. It's in your marriage. Love your wife. You love your wife and you will have given to your children just exactly what they need. And sometimes we say in ministry, the, the, the family's before the ministry and then you see their home broke down. Church, can I say this? If you'll look around, you'd be glad there's a little space because in the months ahead, there, there won't be, and there's weeks even last week, you can't hardly say it. But God doesn't want to build a kingdom to Himself in this one building. Every time this gets full, He's going to expand off and go to another small town in our counties and begin to establish new works where 40 to 60 people actually go into a town and say to them, we're here to serve because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We're here to do business. And amen, we can do that together. What about the kingdom of God? I've said it before. No preacher, no preacher in the country will measure success in eternity by the numbers that he taught. According to James, he stands in more strict judgment. But I want to stand with each one of you. But if I hadn't prayed in a prayer room in secret, what good am I? I know this morning I don't have a fancy message. I knew I had some friends coming that matter. I'm not here to preach a fancy thing. I'm here to share my heart with you. Where are you? What are we doing? The Bible says if, if you don't take up your cross, if you don't die this thing and crucify the affections that you have for this life and trying to do it some other way, you can't be His disciple. You cannot. It isn't like I made the gospel hard for everyone. This is what the Bible says. I've said it before, I'm not Dr. Phil. We get messed up when we get in sin. God knows how to tell us to live. He knows how to actually convict us when we're out of the way. He knows how to convict the pastor. Amen. And I'm as, and as much joy also watching you all serve and get hungry. Many of you are praying. You're praying. And listen, we have seen God do miracles among the congregation because he's so faithful. His word is true. I mean, we could just start listing what he's doing, the converts and... Man, but it's going to take the Word of God. The fellowship of the body. That means it's not okay just to say you come to Christ, but I don't really need the church. That's craziness. Children's ministry. I want to read out of Ephesians 6, 4. You fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And I want to say this with all humility as we begin to see God establishing youth on Wednesday night, really a growing... That's great, and we want to keep doing that. We want to put the vision ahead of them. We want them to learn to minister so they're not just the children that you kind of put in the back. 
but where they actually put their feet. They're, they're lining up on these pews on Wednesday night, and we're talking about their secret prayer, and that when they go to school, they're spotting those that are hurting, that are coming from broken homes, and, and they're praying for them. We want them in ministry. I don't want them to hit 18 to 20 years of age and then go to college and say, gee, I didn't know the world was so mean and I can't be a Christian here. I mean, we want to do some Christian apologetics that help your children actually defend their faith. Yesterday, I dealt with a Muslim couple. I'm trying to get with a group to do an apologetic session. Listen, how do you minister to Islam in this day? The same way you minister to anybody that's lost. You preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them because Christ died for them as much as he died for you. And we need to get rid of all this racial bias nonsense. How about the Hispanics? Let's pray for them. How would you like to be a family caught up in that mess today? We could be Christians praying for these families, asking God to bring them. But youth ministry, fathers, God gave us the responsibility to teach our children. And we'd like to first teach them by example. So I can't tell my children, I want you to do right by the Lord, and I want you to do what I ask you to do if I don't do what God asked me to do. I can't say to my child, don't backtalk me if I backtalk the Lord when He asked me to do something. I can't say to my child, I want, I want Jesus to be the number one priority in your life if in my life I am not putting as the number one priority, even pastor in a church. I can't say to them, I want you to love the church of Jesus Christ unless they see me actually loving my wife in response to biblical conviction where I love her regardless and present her. They won't love the church unless... So we have the first rights to our children and your voice matters. What you say and what you do will definitely teach your children. And then when they get in youth group, then God can begin to advance them and take them on. No doubt He's using the youth and the leaders of the youth around this country. But it's going to require some discipline. Isn't it easy to say, like, boy, like God is all I need. You know, I've sacrificed my life for Him, but then the world can really, in a real way, fill up all these other areas in your you start to wonder, wow, where's this all went? And night by night, you find yourself eating out more? Come on, let's get real with it. Uh, you find out that there's like three or four games that, that week. I have five children. So you start seeing all of these areas that just suck the lifeblood out, and you wonder why you don't hardly know your kids. And, and then the, the parents are kind of at odds, and, and, and there's almost a, a pressure to divide where like, well, if you go with you know Johnny, I'll go with Sue, and then, then you're separated. Isn't it a divide-and-conquer world right now? I mean, if they can't divide you over business, won't they divide you over politics? Won't they divide you over race? We need to be careful of the division. God wants us to come together. And if not, they definitely would divide people, making them believe that there's no reason once you're born again you'd even come to a church. After all, you can just be divided. And I'm telling you, the body of Jesus Christ has a head, has a body, and the Holy Spirit assembles it together as it has pleased Him, nobody else. So He takes the giftings of one person, puts them in the body as Christ needs the things. That he, I'm crying out for some help in areas here at the church. But you want to, you want to be gut honest with you? It's not always comfortable. Because men have made the church a kingdom to themselves, And they're threatened by some other preacher. Are you kidding me? And Brother Johnny, I, he stood up the other night and said, Brother Aaron's an evangelist. So, yes! Amen! But there's other, listen, there's other ministries. We have to be ministries put together so that when trouble hits, 
Do you realize what a morning looks like? You know this, church. What do you do? Who do you call? The charisma of a pastor won't work then. Fancy speeches won't work. Only the Word of God. Verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying the power, from such turn away. How hard is it to turn away from these things, from these people? So I want to give you a few things, some priorities. I want to just ask you for a fresh commitment in God. Maybe you're here today just to stir. You can see there's, there's, a, there's a warning in me for the church just like, the way I would run to the chicken house or the greenhouse and begin to cover it up. Like, hey, there's, I want everyone to be prepared. Like, you don't have to be scared. We can do this. But I want you to be prepared. Like, there's trouble on the way. The only reason the church has become so divided and so lazy is because she's living in a time of such freedom. Very rarely has a church of Jesus Christ lived in the freedom that we see in this country today. But these freedoms are quickly being abolished. We've enjoyed the freedom of men who fought wars. I'm not talking about just that kind of freedom. The freedom I want you to experience is the freedom being in God and the truth making you free from the world itself so that you could have peace even in the midst of adversity. You could be like the children of Israel, go through the trouble, yet God had reigned victorious because he knows how to lead your life and he knows how to get you there. Would you do an inventory? Make a fresh commitment. Would you learn to say no? to some things. And in saying no, would you know why you're saying no? Because you're saying yes to him. And last but not least, if your children grew up and followed your exact example in how they live, how they pray, how they study, would you be satisfied? I can't answer any of those for you. I can tell you as a father that I'm warned regularly as a pastor of not getting so busy that it affects my being a father at home. And I can also tell you that there's nothing that feels better than my oldest son and I this week studying the sermon by Paul as he preached at Mars Hill. That as I yelled at my daughter, uh, not yelled in a bad way, just hollered to see what she was doing. She comes down with a psalm that she was painting. And then I went the next morning into my prayer closet and my youngest daughter had colored two pictures of her dad, set them in his prayer room, and it said, I love you, Daddy. Church, what we're chasing on the outside will never work for us as families. I'm not saying our kids shouldn't play sports. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do some of these things. I'm saying, could today we let God challenge us as parents and grandparents, as friends of somebody, to say this is for the Lord and nothing will get in the way of it. Because in the time of trouble, he's all I need. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. If you have a prayer request or any other need, we would love to hear from you. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 400, Riverton, Kansas 66770. Or call us at 620-848-3347. You may find us on Facebook and online at RivertonFBC.com. Our Sunday school classes begin at 945 a.m. with worship services at 1045 a.m. In addition, small group Bible studies meet on Sunday nights in various homes within the community. Please join us on Wednesday nights for a community-wide meal at 6, followed by Bible study for all ages at 7. The church is located at 6895 Southeast Bluebird Lane, just two blocks north of the Riverton Quick Stop or one block south of Community Bank and Trust and one block west. This is downtown Keith Brown inviting you to join us again next Sunday morning at 830 for another exciting message from God's Word. Have a great week and God bless.